Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakali. And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had, uh, had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard the words, these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I'll, I'll stop there and maybe we'll just try to think on this in a wide spectrum. So Nehemiah has, is the king's cupbearer. And uh, a, a, a place of, you know, a place of protection, a place where he's safe, a place where he's got, if you wanted to call that, a good job, a good job. Uh, you know, a place where he could, in a sense, relax. But I, I would like to, maybe let me read another verse, if you could bear with us. Two more verses in chapter number 2. So, Nehemiah has been praying, seeking after God's help. And Nehemiah is going to get leave from the king. And not only going to get leave, he's going to get help from the king to go back and to build the walls of Jerusalem, to set up the gates, to be a help to those people there. Verse number 9 and 10 in the second chapter. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So all that we've read, just think about this, that we're living in a world, I, I say chaos, we're living in a world of chaos. And, and I realize that, you know, we could say, well, preacher, in the context of this, he's only working for and he's only interested in the people of God. Well, I say this, there's a multitude of people that says they're the people of God that are in chaos. A multitude of people that say they're the people of God that uh, they're in great trouble. They're in great affliction. They're in problems. But I say this, if the people of God are helped, the world is helped too. If you and I are not helped, there's no help to the world. 
So this is what I'd like to look at today. I'd like to look at and I'd like to think about what can we do? What would God have us to do? So in a world of chaos, in a church world, a great lot of the people are in chaos. A great lot of what is named as a church world today is a multitude of people that are lost. So let's just think along this line. If you could just walk with me down through some verses. So here's Nehemiah. He's the king's cupbearer. And he gets news of what is the condition. What's the condition of the people of God that are in captivity, that have escaped the captivity, but are still dwelling down at Jerusalem? What's the condition? According to verse number 3, they that are left of the captivity are there in great affliction. That word means in evil. They are of the captivity. You know, you know what they've become? They become captive. They become prisoners. They become a part of the booty. That booty, you know, you just think about David conquering the Philistines. When he conquered the Philistines, everything that the Philistines had, that become David's. That was David's booty. Was David's booty. That was his blessing. That was what he gathered. Well, I say this, that the devil and the world, and, and those two go together. You know, Donna mentioned a, a beast. I tell you, we've got a beast and the beast to contend with today. These people were captivated and our families and our people and multitudes of our churches are under the control and are prisoners of the beast. I'm not saying that there's a battle between the beast and God. I'm saying that the beast and the world and the devil have a multitude of my family. I'm not talking about God's people. I'm talking about my family, your family, our people, and a multitude of what is called God's people, I'm saying physically, worldly, church members, but do not have God in their lives. You know what they are? They're the booty of the devil. Now Nehemiah says, how are things down at Jerusalem? Well, they're in captivity. They're in great affliction. They're in reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down. The gates there are burned with fire. So there's a great disgrace. You think the kingdom of God is in disgrace today. You think the kingdom of God, he, he says a, a reproach, a shame, a rebuke, a reproach, a disgrace. Do you think, now just think with me for a moment, naturally and historically. That was God's city. Look at it in Nehemiah's day. The walls are down. The people are in captivity. The people are prisoners. They're starving to death. There are... A, I mean, it's a disgrace. It's a shame that this is what God's city looks like.
Nehemiah, I want us, this is what I hope the Lord would help us to do. And it came to pass when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and feasted and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. What effect, what effect does what we see, the disgrace that is around our country, the disgrace and the shame that our church world as a whole is in today, our families who are the booty of the devil, our families who are wrapped up in the world and claim to be God's people, what effect is that having upon us today? You might say, well, I can't do anything. I say, yes, you can. I say, yes, we can. I say this, you say, well, God's going to save who He's going to save, and that's already determined. Well, I say this, if God saved me, there was a way that I got saved. If you're saved, there was a means for you to be saved. So in all of our lives, know this, thank God that God's going to save. Thank God that He is still working. Thank God, but know this, He is working through you and me. He is working and there is a means to come to the end. All of that that in between, I'll say this, friend, there was a great, great road between your salvation and the purposes of God in the beginning before the foundation of the world. Can you see that? Can you see that there was an Abraham? Can you see there was a Noah? Can you see there was a Shem? Can you see there was an Isaac? Can you see there was a Jacob? Can you see there was multitudes of prophets and people that believed God to bring you to the place that you would be saved? So you and I are also in the means of God accomplishing and God's purpose in bringing about salvation to the world that we live in today. How are we affected? Look at Nehemiah, and I ask you this, are we affected like this today? When Nehemiah heard these words, now would you, would you think with me? When Nehemiah heard these words, he had a vision in his mind. Right? He didn't just hear words. I tell you, when he heard the words, there was a vision come with it. When he heard those words in his ears, there was a vision of the condition of the people. He had a vision of that in his mind. So he heard, I believe that he heard it, not only in the natural ear, but he had a hearing, he had a heart that heard it, and with that heart, he had a vision of the condition of God's people of God's city, of His family, of His neighbors, of those around Him. He had a vision of that in His mind. And what did that do to Him? Oh, I'll tell you, friend, you may, you may think, well, there's nothing that we can do. Well, if this is applicable in 2023, and you say that's the Old Testament, it is, but is there a lesson here for me? Can I take Nehemiah, the book as a whole, can I take it chapter by chapter and find that in there that is applicable to us today? So this, 
is what I want to think on. What effect did that have on Nehemiah? Well, according to the Word of God, the Bible said when he heard those words, he wept. He wept. This is what the Bible said. I sat down. You know, I wonder. I wonder if he sat down because it was so devastating that he needed to get a seat. That it was, and you might think this is silly, but it was so devastating to his mind and his heart that he felt like if he didn't sit down, he was going to fall down. So he sat down and he wept certain days. And he prayed and he fasted. And the truth is, he didn't pray and fast for a day or two. He prayed and he fasted for at least four months. At least four months, Nehemiah is praying, he is fasting, he is weeping, he is touched by that that he hears. You and I are privy to see. We are privy to look and to see our families. We are privy to look and to see our world. We're able to see our churches. We're able to see in our own lives what is going on and the chaos and friend, how often that our families become booty to this world and to the devil. And you know, I could say that even about things that have been said this morning. That the devil has much of our people in captivity. What can we do about that? Well, would it be fair... Would it be fair to call us to do what Nehemiah did? Would that be out of reason to call us to do what Nehemiah did? Would it be be in order for us to sit down, to weep, to mourn, to pray, to fast, to call on and pray before the God of heaven? Would that be in order? My God, I believe it would be in order. I believe it would be in line. I believe it would be the right thing. It would be in order for us to seek after God. You know what He's going to do for the next four or five, six verses? I tell you what He's going to do. He's going to say, God, we've fallen by the wayside. God, we've not done what we ought to do. God, we've sinned and went against You. We've not kept Your commandments like we ought to. We've not done the things that we should do. Uh, And listen, I'm not naming anybody. I believe that man as a whole falls into this condition. You know what we may have? Spiritually speaking, we're like a roller coaster. Friend, a lot of times we're up, sometimes we're down. And friend, our spiritual life is like that. Can I say that I've always done what I'm supposed to? Can I say that I've always kept the commandment of God? Can I say to God, God forgive me? Can I say to God I failed? Can I say to God, Lord, would you forgive me? God, would you restore me? Lord, would you help me? God, would you strengthen me? Could we all say that? Could we all look around and see the condition of our families? See the condition of our nation? See the condition of our world that we're living in today? And see that we need the good presence of Spirit and the power of God? in our lives today? Can we see that? And are we affected by that? I believe we see it. I believe we do. I believe we see it. I believe the truth is the devil loves to shove it in our face. Don't you? 
Don't you think that the devil glories in shoving the ungodliness, the wickedness, the unconcern into our faces and says, what's God doing about it? The booty is getting bigger and bigger on my side, the devil says. Donna said this morning, a great falling away. Well, God help me to do this. Let's not look at a great falling away of the church world or the world. Let's look at a great falling away in me individually. Let me look at me and see if there's a great falling away in me. So let's think on this a little. Nehemiah, I sat down and I wept and I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. (laughs) Now, you know something? This man, this man is affected. He's not even seen it with a natural eye yet, but he has been affected by what he's seen through the words. So you and I, we see it all around us. We see our families. We see our people dying and going to hell. But I wonder, are we affected by it? What effect has it brought? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm going to read stuff that you may disagree with. I'm going to read stuff that I believe gets right down where we live today. Listen to this. This know that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. You tell me why we're not affected today. You tell me why today that I look around and I see a man that's going to die and go to hell. I see my own family members and you see your family members and we see people that we're around day after day. How is it that we know? We know if you really know God and you're really saved, you know by the Spirit of God, it doesn't matter how many times they tell you they're saved, you know good and well because of the lack of the witness of God that they're lost people. But why doesn't that affect us? Preacher, you're, you're, you're wrong about that loving ourselves. I tell you, we're so engrossed in self today that we do not see the condition of those around us. You, you just listen. Now that was, that was the first comma. He, he's going to describe what it looks like. What does people that are in love with self look like? This is what he says. This is in 2 Timothy 3 and 2 if you want to read it with me. They're covetous. They're always wanting something else and somebody else's. Isn't that a world we're living in today? Is that not a world that we're living in today? People that are covetous. And you know, it's not just covetous of things. It's covetous of building me up. It's covetous of pride. It's covetous of power. It's covetous of of pride. It's continual. And this Word of God says that they are covetous. They're boasters. Have you ever heard of a world that is so boastful, so prideful, so arrogant as the world we're living in today? But I ask it is, was the Lord Jesus covetous? 
Was the Lord Jesus boisterous? Was the Lord Jesus prideful? I'll tell you what He did. He came down and came down and came down and came down that you and I would be able to come up. That we would be able to go to God all today. Why are we not affected? I'm afraid, ladies and gentlemen, the reason we're not affected today is because all of in the world and all that I do and all of my time and all of my interest revolves around me more so than those that are around me that are in need of a God-sent salvation. Our time is spent on us and therefore we're not affected by what we see. The devil, instead of being soft, instead of being moved, instead of weeping, instead of mourning, instead of fasting, instead of praying, we are becoming more and more callous all the time. I know this is not popular. This man is touched. This man is moved. This man is moved by what he sees. So, you just think about this. Nehemiah put it with us today. Nehemiah is far removed from this, isn't he? How's he doing? Well, how do you think he's doing? He's the king's right hand man. Isn't he doing well? He's removed from this. He has been removed. I feel what a distance that there is today. You know, it's like, well, I'm not in that shape. I'm not in that condition. I'm far removed from that. That doesn't affect me. That doesn't bother me. That that doesn't have anything to do with me. Oh, look at him. Look at his place. I tell you, far removed, but not only that, uh, look look what his position is. Look where he is. You know, he's in a place, he's doing well. Everything's going well for him. I mean, there's people down at Jerusalem. Uh, the city's in disgrace. The church is in disgrace. Uh, people are in captivity. Uh, they're the booty of the devil. Uh, there they are. There they are in shame and disgrace. And you know what the devil says? No need to think about them. That's the way it is today. Whether you want to admit it or not, we live in our own little world. And we're unaffected by that that's going on around us. So, a a lamentation, we've already alluded to it, he said, my eye affecteth my heart. Is there any concern? You think about that. Is there a concern today? Or am I calloused because of my removal? I tell you that that Nehemiah was not calloused because he was removed from it. You say, me and my family, we're we're doing well. God's blessing us. Well, when God's blessing you, I'm down in the prison. My name is Joseph. I'm down in the prison. Mr. Butler, Mr. Cupbearer, When you go up to the king's house and everything's going with you, would you remember me? Would you remember me? Let me ask you, did he remember Joseph? When did he remember Joseph? (coughs) When they're dead, it it won't be a time to remember them. 
when they're gone to hell, it won't be a time to remember them then. I'm not trying to put anything on you that you can't bear. Don't you take me wrong. I'm not trying to lay anything on you that you're unable to bear. I'm asking us that we might be affected and that there might be something happen in our lives. You know, he's praying. He's praying. Listen, listen to the last of his, of his prayer. Verse number 11. So he's, 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 he's asking God to be attentive to his prayer, confessing their sins. He's saying that they've been corrupt. He's saying, Lord, I, I remember this. You said, Lord, if you scattered us abroad, if we'd come to you, we'd humble ourselves and call on you, you'd be with us. Is that still true? Mm -hmm. Verse number 11. O Lord, I beseech Thee, let now Thine ear be attentive to the prayer of Thy servant and to the prayer of Thy servants who desire to fear Thy name and prosper, I pray Thee, Thy servant, this day. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. What's he wanting? <laughs> I tell you, he's wanting to find favor in the king's eye. How long is he praying about this? <coughs> Four months. Listen, maybe, maybe you could see this. Read chapter, chapter 2. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of our taxeries, the king... That wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. You know what's going on? Nehemiah has been weeping, praying, fasting, seeking after God for four months, and the king has never seen it. He has never seen that sadness. He's never seen that brokenness. He's never seen Nehemiah in that condition that his heart is really in. But this day, this day, God says, this is the day. This is the day that I'm going to answer your prayer. This is the day that I'm going to use you. This is the day that you have been praying for. This day, Nehemiah, this day, God is going to allow this weightiness, this, if you want to call it a burden, you can call it a burden. If you want to call it a concern, I'll call it a concern. If you want to call it a, a, a great concern for your family and your people, I'll tell you what, this day, Nehemiah cannot hide it this day. It's consuming him. It is consuming him of the condition of his family and his people and the church down at Jerusalem. Listen to the word. Walk with me. Wherefore the king said... Now now remember this. I, I, hold your place there. Listen to uh, Matthew chapter 6. It's no different today. Matthew chapter 6, whether you start in verse 1, I'm going to go over and I'm going to read in verse number 16. But verse number 1 to verse number 16, you know what it talks about? It talks about people that's got all of this outward religion. And you know what they want? I want Mary Ruth and Klein to know about my outward religion. 
I want Vaughn and Daniel to know about my outward religion. Well, I've got my reward. I've got all that I'm going to get. I'll tell you that Nehemiah is not that way. Nehemiah is brokenhearted. Nehemiah is fasting. Nehemiah is praying. Nehemiah is weeping before God. Nehemiah is admitting his own failure, his own sin. But let me tell you this. He is not putting on a show for the king to see it. But this day, ladies and gentlemen, on this day, four months after he began to pray, four months after that burden hit him, four months after he got so concerned that he wept and he prayed and he sought after God, four months later, I tell you, it overcame him. Matthew 6.16, the Bible says this, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to be men to fast, unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head, wash your face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Is that still true? Was that true for Nehemiah? Could that be true for us? Four months, Larry. He's been praying. Four months, he's been weeping. Four months, he has been heartbroken over the condition of the church, over the condition of God's people, over the condition of the chaos in the world. And in verse number 2, the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. I ask you this today, honestly. Would you just be honest? I'm not trying to pick on nobody. I'm not trying to stir up nothing. I'm asking you today, how long's it been since there was a sorrow of heart over the condition of those around us? I mean a sorrow of heart that the King would notice. Let's take that spiritually, would you? A sorrow of heart. You know, if I do that before you, what good is it? Can you do anything? But folks, four months later, weeping and praying and fasting. I don't know what you think. A lot of folks say, well, I'm not going to eat for the next five days. No, they made a vow. They made a vow that it was going to kill Paul. They made a vow not to eat or to drink or to do anything. Well, they killed him, didn't they? I believe we ought to I believe we ought to flip fasting on its head. I believe that fasting was not the work of, but fasting was the result of what was going on in Nehemiah's heart. If you've ever been heartbroken, if you've ever been broken in heart, if you've ever had sorrow of heart, whether that was by a natural problem or a spiritual problem, I tell you what, you can't eat. 
You, your belly doesn't want anything to eat because your soul tore up on the inside. I believe the fasting, ladies and gentlemen, is a result of what Nehemiah is seeing and it is a result of what is going on in his heart. He is fasting not to make a show, but the fasting is a result of what God's doing in his heart. Is there any fasting today? <coughs> you just answer it for you. <coughs> I don't say this to be disrespectful. And this is sort of hard saying. But today, after the funeral, we're all going to get together and eat. And Darlene, I don't mean that to be ugly in any way. But can you see where life has turned to? Can you see that? It's a sad state of affairs, folks. But if my heart was where my heart should be, for my family and my people and my neighbors and those around me. Could I? Could I? Would it bring such a turmoil in my heart that I couldn't eat? When I look and I see so many that are dying and going to hell, when I see the devil making fun of the church and making fun and shoving in our face continually the ungodliness, should that bring me to a place of fasting? You're not sick. He knew he wasn't sick. What was it? It was a sorrow of heart what he says. A sore of heart. And Nehemiah's afraid. You know something? The king noticed this. Four months he's been dealing with this. And Nehemiah's never let it out of the bag what was on his heart. But this day, it became so great. Now you just think about the providence of God. That God, this day, is going to bring in Nehemiah and he's going to be a sorrow of heart and broken hearted and the king's going to see it and the king's in such a frame of mind to ask Nehemiah, what can I do for you? You know that happened to Solomon. You remember that? That he had a dream and God said, what shall I do for you? What would you ask Nehemiah? Not Nehemiah, but Solomon. What would you ask for? Now listen to this word. The word says, Then the king came unto me, For what dost thou make request? And you might think, Well, he went away and prayed. No. No, he had been praying for four months. But I tell you what, right here he is at a moment in an instant of time. Have you ever been there? 
You've been praying about this situation or that situation or this person or that person and God opens the door. God opens the door. And you say, God, what would you have me to say? God, what would you have me to do right here? Nehemiah is doing that. As he's standing on his feet, we don't see a parenthesis. We don't see a time lapse. But I tell you what we do see. We do see that Nehemiah has been praying for four months and Nehemiah has a desire to do something for God. And the king says, what shall I do for you, Nehemiah? What would you like for me to do? You know? And he said, so I prayed unto the Lord God of heaven. You know, it's always the Lord God of heaven. The Lord God of heaven in chapter number 1 and verse 4, chapter number 2 and verse 4, chapter number 4 and verse 4, chapter 4 and verse 9, chapter 5 and 19, chapter 6 and 9, and chapter 6 and 14. Nehemiah is a man that is moved. When the situation arises, he immediately calls on God. And here he is. Now the king says, What would you like for me to do for you, Nehemiah? He prayed. He said, I'd like to go. I'd like to go. If it pleased the king, if I found favor in your sight, you would send me to Jerusalem. I'd like to go and build it. David went. His father sent him. Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. Right? Nehemiah says, I'd like to go. I'd like to be used. I'd like to be a part of your work, Lord. I'd like to be used. Are they the only ones? No. No, I'll tell you, Jesus went. Did Jesus not go? Heaven was searched and the earth was searched and beneath the earth was searched. And there was no man found worthy. And behold, a lamb stood in the midst. And you know what he did? He went. Would God have me to go? Would God have you to go? You say, well, that, that, that's a different time and that's a different age. Did Paul go? I tell you, Paul went, didn't he? Should we go? Can we go? Are we making preparation to go? I read in Romans chapter number 13, I believe. Chapter 13 and verse, verse 14. Listen to these words. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So I can, uh, I can providentially provide for, I can lay up for, I can care for the things of the flesh. Can I make provisions for the things that are spiritual? Can I have, if, if I can make provision for the flesh, can I not make provision for that that is spiritual? Could I not make provision for that that is godly? Could I not, if, if, if Paul admonishes us not to make provision, not to lay up, not to set aside, not to providentially care for and make a way for the flesh, could I not wait, make a way for? Do you think that Nehemiah has made a way? Has he put any effort into this? 
I'd like for you to send me down to Jerusalem, he says. Well, that's just a little whim. That was a four months of weeping and praying and fasting and seeking after God. I wouldn't call that a little whim. I wouldn't call four months of mourning and weeping and fasting and praying and confessing. I wouldn't call that a little whim. I'd call that providing for. So does God have anything for us to do today? I mean, when I look around and I see my family, I look at your family, you look at my family, we look at one another's family. Anything we can do about that? Well, preacher, there ain't a thing we can do. Really? Let me ask you, where do you reckon that came from? Where do you reckon that thought came from? That you, as a child of God, you forgiven, you knowing the Word of God, you a priest and a king under your God, where do you reckon the thought that you can't do anything came from? I believe it could be self-love, Larry. I believe it could be that man is a lover of himself. This is what he said in verse number 8. The king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. You know, he asked for a little bit. I tell you what he did. He gave him more than he asked for. He gave him an escort. He gave him the king's army. He gave him the king's horsemen. He gave him a letter signed by the king. He did exceedingly abundantly more than Nehemiah asked for according to, this is the word now, according to the good hand of my God upon me. Okay, let's come down. Let's come down. That's all wonderful and good. Let's come down. Then came I to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent captains of the armies and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant of the Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek after the welfare of the children of Israel. You know what you're going to run into? Opposition. You know that person, that person that maybe through this few minutes, God has put on your mind about somebody in captivity, somebody of prisoners, somebody in chaos. You know what? They don't want to be saved. The truth? They're fine the way they are. Sanballat and Tobiah, it grieved them. It upset them that there was somebody concerned about the welfare, the care, the good, the, 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 the eternal good of, of the people of Israel. It grieved them that there was anybody even concerned about it. Can you see that world we're living in today? Not only our families and our people that don't want to be saved, the devil's fighting against us, the world's fighting against us, and the sinner that we want to be saved, they're all there to discourage us. Are they not? But you know what Nehemiah says? God's hand is upon me. 
God has put something on my heart. God has put someone on my heart. God has put a people on my heart. And, and, and you know, again, this is not a whim. This is four months of weeping and praying and seeking after God. And when he gets down there, here is Nehemiah, or here is Sanballat and Tobiah, enemies, haters of God, jealous. They feel threatened. They feel like they're going to lose their place. Isn't that what man think? Well, I'm not going down there to church. I'm going to lose my freedom. I'm going to lose what I enjoy. My God, what a lie! You see, that's the Sanballat and Tobiah we're dealing with today. Same Sanballat, same Tobiah. They're greed. You want to speak to someone about church, about God, about Jesus? Oh, it just it just grieves them that you even bring that up. What do we need? I tell you, we need the hand of God on us. We need the hand of God. We need the Lord. We need the Lord's presence. We need the Spirit and the power of God. They're, they're, they're grieved. They were grieved. It grieved them exceedingly that they were come a man to seek after the welfare of the children of Israel. You know, I mentioned this earlier today in 2 Timothy chapter number. Chapter number 2, the last verse or two, Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. You think my family and your family wants to be saved? They're not interested in being saved. They are in the snare of the devil and don't even know it. It's the truth. But you, you in meekness, instructing them, if peradventure, if it could be... Now let me ask you, is God using Timothy to bring this to pass? If peradventure God would give them repentance to escape, to deliver themselves out of the snare of the devil, is God using Timothy to do this? Can God use you and I today that our families, our people, might be able to escape the snare of the devil? Did He use Nehemiah? Did He use David? Did He use Joseph? Did He use Isaiah? Did He use Jesus? Did He use Paul? Did He use Timothy? Did He use Titus? Why are we today that God can't use us? The devil sold us a lie, folks. I said this in the prayer room. I'll say it again. I'll read it to you. Ephesians chapter number 1. The Bible says this. Ephesians chapter number 1. In whom we have obtained an inheritance in Christ, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. (laughs) He didn't just work that I'd be saved. He didn't just work that you would be saved. He worked everything that brought me to that. There were people. There were people in God's work of bringing me to be saved. I'm not laying on you nothing you can't bear. 
I'm asking us today, are we concerned? Are we mourning? Are we weeping? Are we fasting? Is there opposition? There's opposition from the very people that you want God to save. There's opposition from the world that we're living in. There is opposition from religion. There is opposition on every side and every front that you look on, every place that you look. There is opposition to you caring for and looking after and desiring the welfare of your people. Jesus says, I believe it's in Matthew chapter 17. The disciples, they come off of the mount. And you know, the disciples that weren't with Jesus, Peter, James, and John were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. When they came down, there was a man who had brought his son who was captivated by, under the control of, the devil. That man had brought his son to Christ's disciples. And they couldn't cast him out. You remember that Scripture? Jesus come down and said, O faithless generation, O ye of little faith. And I'm not quoting that exactly right. But after He cast the devil out, the disciples privately said, Lord, why couldn't we do this? Now you remember, they had done it before. You remember when they come back and they said, even the devils are subject to us. They had done it before. But the Bible said, this kind. This kind only. This kind can only be cast out by fasting and prayer. This kind. Folks, we're living, in, we're living in a day of this kind. And I'm not saying that it hasn't been that way. I'm not saying that it hasn't been this kind. But I tell you, it's in our face all around us today that we need the help of God this kind. This kind. Oh God, would it be would it be fitting if Nehemiah prayed for four months and wept and sought after God and fasted that he might be sent to build the city of Jerusalem? Would it be worth it for us to fast and to pray and to seek after God and to confess our sin? Would you say this today? Is there any room for us to move closer to God? I'm not asking you to come to the altar. I'm asking you in your heart. No need to come to the altar if there's nothing in the heart to bring us. Or is there opposition? Absolutely. So we got, we got the Sanballat and the, and the Tobias, and it grieves them. But you know, verse number 12, And I arose in the night, I and the few men that were with me, neither I told any man what God had put in my heart to do. Ain't that something? Nehemiah still has not revealed what God had revealed to him. I tell you, he's about to work, isn't he? Verse number 17, Then I said unto them, What's he done? He's took a, he's took a literal... I view. He's looked at it himself. 
Listen, folks. You want to see a worldview? Go home and turn your television on and you can get a worldview of the United States, of the world as a whole. Look in your neighborhood. Look at the grocery store. Look at the gym. Look at the school. Look at the college. Look in our world today and look at the condition. He took a first-hand view of it. And when he come back and they got back, he said in verse number 17, chapter 2, you see the distress. You see how dry. You see how parched. You see what a ruin we're in. You see the condition and how that Jerusalem lies waste. How that it is in ruin and the gates there are burnt with fire. Come and let us. Do you see the evil? Do you see the adversary? Do you see the calamity? Do you see that? That we be not a reproach. That we be not, that we be not shamed. That we are not shamed in this world. You know, I believe Paul told Timothy, he said, rightly divide the word of truth. Rightly divide it. Timothy, cut it straight. That you be not ashamed as standing before God. You know something, folks? We're going to have to stand before God one day. Are we going to be ashamed? Nehemiah says it's a shame the condition we're in. But listen. Listen to the next verse. Then I told them of the hand of my God which was good upon me, and also the king's word. And he had spoken unto me, and they said, Let us rise up. Let us rise up and build. You might think this is silly, but I thought this morning as Joseph told me that Joel was sick, Paul Hayden's been sick, others have been sick. You know, there's just a pile of sickness today that is just unbelievably contagious, isn't it? I tell you what Nehemiah's got in his heart is contagious. What he's got stirring in his heart is catching. What he's got stirring in his heart is catching to his fellow man. Now you think about how that what is in his heart stirred up these people. You know, there was something there. There was an excitement there. There was a desire there. There was a witness there. Now look where he left. He left the king's palace. He left the cupbearer. He comes down where all the opposition is. He's crossed a multitude of territory to get here. And Nehemiah, by what's in his heart, i tell you what he's got. He's got something that's contagious to those that are disheartened. Where are they? They're in captivity. They're in ruin. They're disheartened. In chapter number 3 and chapter number 4, you know what they're going to say? The church, the people of God are going to say, we can't do it. You know what he's going to do? Make his prayer unto the God of heaven. That's what he's going to do over and over and over again. Then I told them of the hand of my God was good upon me as also the king's word. And they said, what else has he said? You see the distress? You see how Jerusalem lies in ruins? You see the gates are burned with fire? Come and let us build the wall 
that we be no more a shame, no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God was good upon me, and also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Who brought this about? God brought it about. How did God bring it about? Timeline through Nehemiah. True? How was Goliath killed? Who brought that about? Well, we could look at it spiritually and could say, we could say, well, well, David's father. We could say that God the Father sent Jesus Christ to deliver the brethren. How about timeline? How about on the horizontal? Who carried that out? Was there not a David? Is there not an Nehemiah? You know, I'll say this on the bad side. If I get to stomach bug tomorrow, and I've still got it Tuesday and I've got it Wednesday, I won't be here. I don't want to give you that. But if I've got something good from God, I'd like for you to have that. I'd like to give you that. And Nehemiah has got something that is contagious. And he is stirring up, by God stirring in him, he is stirring up the people. Can you see that? Let me tell you something, folks. If there's no desire and no excitement from you, if all you've got is the mully grubs, and you think I'm out in left field, if I'm out in left field, you deacons get together, bring up, a, bring up your motion, and let the church vote on it and send me down the highway. But if this is the Word of God, God help us to be enthused about the Word of God that there is something we can do. 